Welcome to Shekinah International Podcast. Our ministry reflects the five-fold ministry model Apostle Paul mentions in Ephesians 4, 11, and 12. Our podcast features leaders from multiple churches who are passionate about equipping Christians just like you to walk in purity and power, fulfilling your God-given purpose. God wants to do great exploits through you, so enjoy today's podcast. teaching that we did the other week in my life and some things I'm going through and I have listened to a specific sermon that deeply encouraged me and there's one thing that stuck out about when Peter walked on the water and I was asking daddy this morning actually I had kind of been praying about it for three days and sometimes when you're in that third press he waits till that fourth hour to give you the answer and I'm learning it's like I know it here, and I'm learning it here. He's worth the wait, amen? He's worth the wait, every time. I'd rather walk up here with nothing to say than to walk up without a word from the Lord. Amen? So the title he gave me for this particular teaching is Water Walkers. Turn to your neighbor and say you're a water walker. You're a water walker. You could say Skywalker, you know, with all of the stuff going on with Star Wars out there. Some of us are Skywalkers. We're in the of the Spirit, right? We walk with God day in, day out. We say what he says to say. We do what he says to do. What he shows us to do, right? But he gave me the word water walkers. For those of you that are into anime, you may be familiar with water benders and those kinds of things. It kind of has that same kind of idea, except it's actually biblical. Jesus literally walked on water. He created all things, and in him all things literally are held together. So when the creator of heaven and earth steps on the water and commands it to be solid so he can do what it is he has in his heart to do, or his purpose to do, it obeys. I wanted to give you a little bit of context. Where our primary chapter today will be Matthew 14, if you have the word, and you got that on your phone, you can go ahead and open it up. We use all kinds of translations because I love the way God moves through different men and women of God. You've got the Amplified, you've got the Passion Translation, you've got the King James, it's just irreplaceable sometimes. You've got the NIV, you know, the American Standard, the Amplified, and, and sometimes it's just the literal Young's tr- translation, Young's literal translation. When I'm studying, I like to look at them all and say, okay, Father, which one really is capturing your heart for what you want to say in this moment? Because so often the Greek and the Hebrew have multiple potential meanings or definitions for a word. And in a moment or in a season or in a kairos era, if you will, where God is bringing earth into alignment with heaven, he'll use a specific version and a specific verse to say a specific thing for that particular time and season. Amen. Oh, good, I changed it for you. So you'll see my little picture up there. I love this picture. That's the water of the world obeying the King of kings and Lord of lords. Come on, somebody say amen. amen. Turn to your neighbor and say, Jesus is the boss, Jesus is the boss. of all things. all things. Literally, all things. Material and immaterial. And me and you, whether we acknowledge him or not, he's really the boss of us. He is our boss. Amen. 
He set spiritual laws in place that continue to function whether we acknowledge them and participate in the blessed side of those spiritual laws or in the cursed side of those spiritual laws. Those spiritual laws still exist either way. Amen. So the context before this Matthew 14 session here where they walk on water is this. John the Baptist was just beheaded. So these guys are reeling a little bit from that. They watched... John was the first one. He was the forerunner. He was out there. He was the one that baptized Jesus. He was the one that called the Pharisees a brood of vipers. Who told you to come and get saved here? He was a wild man. It says that he wore camel hair and he ate locusts and honey. Lived his whole life out in the desert, listening and waiting on the Lord and trying to get words. This is an odd gentleman. Someone who probably would have been described by the people of that time as being faithful and loyal and obedient. And he gets beheaded by Herod, a political spirit. And I can imagine the reeling that the disciples were doing. Like, is this what I'm getting myself into? Whoa, whoa, whoa. I had a friend say the other day, I'm starting to wonder if I really want the third prize. Do I really want this? Because there is a cost. There's no cost for salvation except the cost of Christ's finished work. But there is a cost for the anointing. So Jesus gives him the word. He said, the lame walk. The dead are raised. He talks about the healing. And reassures John's faith in the jail. That you did what I asked you to do. You said what I told you to say. And these circumstances that surround you are not an indication that you've missed the mark. In fact, you hit the bullseye. Well done. And if you've ever been in a season where the winds of life are blowing around you and you're wondering, did I miss the mark? What did I do wrong? Should I have gone a different way? If I had done this, would it be different? If I had done this, would it be different? Father, help me understand. And that's where John was. So the disciples come out of that and they go across the way there and Jesus feeds the 5,000. So they see the miracle of multiplication. It's beautiful. All these people following him. They're getting healed. They're hearing the word. They're hungry. They're excited. And with a simple thank you, our Lord feeds 5,000 people. And they have 12 baskets left over. And I love the feeding of the 5,000 versus the feeding of the 4,000 because that, word, that number five is a picture of God's grace. He also fed the 4,000. He talks about that in another chapter. We'll get into all that. But when he fed the 4,000, it isn't interesting that there were only seven baskets left over to pick up. But when he fed the 5,000, when he fed the number of grace, there were 12 baskets. There was an apostolic authority with it. When we're leaning on the grace of God and on the finished work of Christ and not on might nor on power, but leaning on his spirit, or allowing the gifts to function in order, honor, and humble submission to God, when we're functioning in the fullness of the fivefold, letting the Lord be the head apostle and us all submitting to him and mutually one another, there's an apostolic authority and grace to function as the ecclesia that comes. That number four means earthly. It's earth, wind, fire. We'll see you in this one. Water, wind, water, thank you. Earth, wind, fire, and water, right? North, south, east, and west. Okay, four often represents the world. And we can get in a mindset sometimes where we're looking at our numbers and what's coming in and who's in the pews or how much tithing we get and what's working and what's not working and focusing on the practical things of the world because we're being good students. We want to be smart, you know? We don't want to be ridiculously 
faith-filled or poor stewards of what we have, we have to take a look at what is. And yet, with the 4,000, only seven baskets were left. It's a little bit of a law-based approach. I see that we have, therefore we do A, B, C. Instead of I heard, and he said, therefore we go. Think of it, how these disciples must have felt. Think if we had a conference and we rented a space with 5,000 people out in the field. We don't have a building. This is out in the field. You have 5,000 people plus women and children that need to go to the bathroom, that need directions, that are hungry, that want to meet Jesus, and there's only 12 of us volunteers. That's about half of us here. You have to do that. Okay? Come on. We have to set up, we have to clean up after them, we have to cater the food, we have to pick up all the food, we have to take the food to all of them, all just 12 of us. Make sure everybody gets fed, and then pick up the extra baskets afterwards. Imagine. I mean, we, we got tired with 150. Okay, but imagine what they must have been like. That was a huge conference or gathering for them. They were probably dead dog tired. Has anybody ever done that kind of work before? I know you have, and some of you all came in the last two hours with me. Because I've done work with you. And you're sitting in the recliner, and I'm over here trying to finish make coffee. Okay, I'm not trying to be mean. I'm not trying to. I'm just keeping it real. We get tired. It takes work, it takes reliance on who Jesus is in those moments to continue to serve, to continue to serve. Nobody wants you, everybody's feeling. So imagine 12 to 5,000. It would be. Matthew 14, 22, our first verse says, immediately after this feeding of the 5,000, immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side side while he dismissed the crowd. And I just used my imagination a little bit, and I thought, they must have looked really tired, because I kind of I'm a leader, this is what I do, right? I oversee teams that do that. And you can look at your volunteers sometimes, and you know that they are just spent. They gave everything they had, and if you give them another task, they're going to take somebody's head off. <laughs> and it's best if you don't give them another task, because they about halfway took yours off. <laughs> Their capacity has been reached, and if you want to love them well, you need to let them leave. Amen. Has anybody ever been there? Okay, we've all been there. Okay? And that's not necessarily a bad thing because we have to learn what our capacities are. We go from faith to faith and glory to glory, but the goal is to go to the next faith and the next level of glory because there are multitudes that don't know Jesus, and we have a lot of work to do. It's ripe and plentiful, but the laborers, those ones willing to do the work, is what's for you. Pray and ask you then that the Lord would send the laborers out into the field. Now, this is a sidebar, but I'm going to go there. We're coming back, I think, as the corporate church, away from the deception that it is about the platform and about attention and about the centrality of who's ever up here speaking or teaching. And we're finally making our way back to the reality that it's about the laborers and that every laborer counts. And that the way that you get here is by serving, because the scripture says, the greatest among us is the servant of all. It says, immediately, they were sent into the boat by Jesus right after a major win in the spirit. They were, they were exhausted, but they were excited, right? So like after our Naked Truth event, we were excited. There were 300 people there or whatever. We blessed the community. Multitudes of people were um, encouraged and healed. We got tons of positive testimonies back when we did that event. 
We had beautiful worship. It was just fantastic. But those of us that served, I think, I know I did. She, she I think, did. I think Lyra did. We were tired. Yeah, that was cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Laura did. She went, yeah, you get the credit. She did. She did. But it, it, but it was tired. Yeah, it takes work, right? I love that it says Jesus made the disciples get into the boat. And I thought about this. Maybe they didn't want to leave. You know what I mean? Sometimes you want to be around the person that carries the anointing, right? You just want to hang out with them a little longer. That's why we all clamor when the speaker wants to go out to dinner and we all want to be somebody at the table. Okay, let's keep it real. Right? Why? Because we're hoping that there's one more thing we can learn, one more thing we can glean, one more aspect of God we can see and understand and receive because we've tasted it and we've seen that God is good and we want more. So often the lessons we've been taught by the Lord are tested as we're sent to a place ahead of him. Now Jesus knew he was not going. He knew he was not going with them. And yet he sent them. So they weren't in disobedience. They were not out of timing. Sometimes people will say that to you. Well, if Jesus ain't with you, you're out of his timing. No, I am walking on a word from the Lord. Now, he hasn't brought the manifestation and caught up and jumped up in my boat yet, but I'm doing exactly what God told me to do. And when he arrives, he'll drop that hammer and show you. Amen, sister. It's a test when he sends us ahead. What will we remember? How will we act? What do we truly believe? Because until we're sent out ahead sometimes, we don't know where our faith is really at. We don't know whether what we claim to believe is still in the cognitive areas of our mind or if it is moved from our mind to our heart and our knower. In the sense that we've shifted from having a knowledge or a mental agreement with something to a place of, I'm actually so convinced and convicted of this truth that I will live it out, even if that means I have to die to myself so that he can live. Amen? After he dismissed them, it says in verse 23, he went up on the mountainside by himself to pray. Listen, don't be mad at your leaders when they need to break, even Jesus needed one. Write the first time, please. <laughs> I am not Jesus. I need a break. We all need a break. You are not Jesus. Tell your neighbor, say, you are not Jesus. Say, you need a break. This is what my daddy taught me a long time ago. Eyes forward, you ready? No, thank you. Yes, I'm not very sure that it's still no. Shaking my head up and down. No, thank you. Everybody needs a break. Everybody needs time to go and pray and get with the Lord and get refilled because we cannot give what we do not have. The parable that talks about the ten versions, there will be five that lamps are full and five whose lamps are empty and they're begging the other Christians, give me some of your oil, give me some of your oil, give me some of your oil. Get your own oil. Get your own oil. You've got to be able to get your own oil. And it's not not loving to say that. Because if we don't teach you how to get your own oil, let me tell you something. You're not going to make it in the wilderness. You sure aren't going to make it when he sends you out ahead. Not only do you have to be able to get your own oil, but you have to eventually learn to teach others how to get their own oil. Because the goal is multiplication. Christ in us, the hope of glory. And if you can't get your own oil, you can't teach anyone else how to get theirs. And you cannot always siphon off of someone else. And if you do, it's 
like being a bit of a parasite. I don't want to do the hard work. I don't want to think this through. I don't want to meditate on the word. I don't want to pray. I want to suck and drain off of you so that I can feel good today. Well, I'm sorry. I'm going to come on by myself, just like Jesus. Get your own home today. Find him. Because I'll tell you what, he's not interested in having a conversation with you through me. He's interested in talking to you directly. He loves you. He loves you. You are his son. You are his daughter. And he can say things to you in a way, and he wants to say things to you in a way that he does not want to say through me or through someone else. Because he wants you to be a sheep that knows his voice. So that when you're ready, he wants to send you out as a laborer. And as soon as you get any truth from this word, from your head to your heart, you're ready to labor. You just say the part you know. Amen? Goes on in verse 23 there. Make sure you have the right one. Yeah. When the evening came, he was there alone. But the boat was already a considerable distance from the land and being buffeted by waves because of the wind against it. So this is kind of funny, I thought. It tells me two things. Number one, Jesus is on the top of the mountain praying. And he knows this, all these disciples are struggling. And he is like, Daddy can tell me what I They're good. The waves are buffeting against the boat. And he sees them. And he doesn't leave his place. Amen. We received that word. Yes, we do. He does not move till God tells him to move. And we know that God is love. And we know that God is perfect love. And we know that God is always good. So why did he shift? It was not time. Sometimes we're sent ahead of God for the very purpose of being prepared for the thing that he's called us to do. And if he rescues us or allows someone else to rescue us before it's time, it actually buffets it circumvents the development of our character and who it is he's called us to be and our ability in the future to carry the weight of the glory that he longs to give us. Does that resonate with you? You are called to do great exploits in his name. You are called to do great exploits in his name, not just me. Tell your neighbor, say, you are called to do great exploits in his name. That's right. So tell him, get moving. Amen. <laughs> Jesus could see them in the storm from the top of the mountain where he was praying. He sees your struggle right now. He sees it. He is not ignoring you. He has not forgotten you. And he wants you to come to him. I love Mark 6, 48 tells us the same story about walking on water and this is kind of fun, little tidbit. He saw his disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. And have you ever been in a season like that where the struggle is real, as Ramar likes to say, you're straining at the oars, you're, you're doing what God told you to do, but it's not easy and it's hard and it takes a lot of effort and you're still trying to do what he said to do because he told you to go across the lake and you don't know how you're going to get there and the winds are whipping around your head and the waves are buffing against your boat but you said, God said, God said, God said. And by his grace, I will not stop. And he sees us when we're straining. And yet he continued to pray. In that moment when I read that verse today, I saw a picture of the Lord. 
knows in my mind that verse 3 says, He's seated in the heavenly places. He continually is an intercession for us. He's seated because it's finished and he's given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of Christ Jesus and his good and precious promises in his word. He's praying because we have a very real enemy that would like to take us out and he understands our weaknesses. He's praying because he sees the struggle. He understands and he remembers the strain and the difficulty in the human flesh. It goes on in 14, 25, and 26. And it says, During the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. So I'm going to backtrack just a little bit. The conference probably happened during the daytime because people needed to get home before the thieves and marauders came out. So he made his disciples get in the boat, probably shortly after feeding them at dinner time. He takes the time to dismiss everyone to make sure they get home safely. And then, let me tell you a little bit about these watches. It's not the first watch. It's not the second watch. It's not the third watch of the night. But the fourth watch, he finally comes around. The watches go from 9 to 12 p.m. And when I wrote that down today, or typed that out, Daddy said, this is the midnight hour. And so you feel like you're at the midnight hour. You're running low on oil. You know you've got something God wants you to do, and you're like, Daddy, I don't feel like I have enough oil. I need more oil. So you're going through that olive press process. And you're like, there ain't much coming out. I'm a little bit nervous. I need a Hanukkah miracle. I need this to last my eight days. I need this to make it down to the fourth wash or whenever it is you decide you're coming up. And some of you in that 12 midnight to 3 a.m. watch, and that's the wishing hour. That's when all hell is breaking loose, and the waves are buffering up against you, and the enemy's coming against your mind, and he's coming against your emotions, and he's coming against the people that you love. He's coming through memories, he's coming through accusations, he's coming through people around you. And you're warring, and you're warring, and you're not warring against flesh and blood because you know that we war not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and wickedness in high places. And you're taking those thoughts captive, and you're throwing them down, and you're seeing things in the spirit, and you're saying, in Jesus' name, the holy angels cage you and send you before the throne of God and do whatever Jesus tells you to do. Go where he tells you to go. May you be roasted in Jesus' name by the awful sweet fire, my Lord and Savior, because he is God and you are not. You're seeing all kinds of crazy stuff in the night. You're battling all night long. You're not sleeping. That's the witch now. Greater is he that is in us than he who is in the world. Amen? In that hour, it can feel like the battles are going to stop. In that hour, it can feel a little nerve-wracking. The enemy will try to come against you with fear and intimidation. Convince you that this is never going to stop and it's never going to end, but it will. He'll try to tell you that you don't have the authority to deal with this because you're just this little child of God and you don't know what the pastor knows. You don't know what the prophet knows. But the same power that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you. The same power that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you. And greater is him that is in you than he who is in the world and you have everything you need to deal with it. And then there's the 3 a.m. to 6 a.m., Hour. And as I type that up, I heard this is the catching your breath hour. You've just been pummeled to death. You've been, you got things coming at you from the back and from the side and from the front and from the top and from the bottom and the day and the night. And it's nonstop, nonstop. It's like one of those punchy bags. What are those round bags called that you got to punch real fast? Speed bag, thank you. It's like a speed bag. You feel like a speed bag. 
And you're dodging, 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 right? You gotta stay on it, you gotta stay on it, speed bag, you'll punch yourself in the face, that sucker come right back and get you. That's what it's like in the witching hour. So you get out of that and you're in the three a.m. to six a.m. hour, it's the catch your breath hour. So you're breathing a little bit. What just happened? Lord Jesus. Breathe. You're waking up in the mornings, you're looking for the wounds from the fight. Something don't feel right here. I don't know why I feel this way. We won all those battles. I saw the victories here, all the answer prayers. These are the things that God did. They're amazing. You've got your list of 19, 20 things, ways he broke through, changes you've seen, but he hasn't quite shown up yet, and you're breathing, and you're checking yourself for gushing wounds. Is there any fear here? The other day with a particular battle I'm going through, I saw a scorpion on my chest. I haven't been able to eat. I've been fasting. And I've been feeling quite nauseous, and I didn't know why. Every time I had a particular thought, I felt quite nauseous, and there was a scorpion on the chest, and I could see it in my mind's eye. It was metallic. It was huge. Its tail came up like this, and its claws were in my back. We almost got sideswiped on the way home from Grand Rapids from this event, and I just, it was like the holy fire of God hit me. And I was shifting from that witching hour to that hour rest, and I just had it. And I shot da 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 I went in, like Flynn, and I was done. I'm like, I had it. I have that picture of the Lord said, you decree, declare that thing's coming off you now in Jesus' name, that it is caged, and it must be put before the throne of heaven for the judgment of God today. And I, I haven't felt nauseous since. But I was still catching my breath. And what the Lord told me in that moment, he said, Stephanie, you actually already have the victory and the enemy's mad. He's trying to come in waves of backlash now to get you upset, to open your mouth and say something contrary to what you already know is true. So you take a few hours and you catch your breath. You pray in the spirit. You worship. You rest. You get refilled. You stop rowing. Stop rowing. You be still. Psalm 46, 10 is one of my favorite scriptures. It says, be still and know that I am God. It's during that 3 to 6 a.m. time of rest when we cease striving, when we cease struggling, when we cease straining the oars and we just be real still. Just like Elijah, we can hear that still, small voice and the directives of God so clearly. And when you know we simply obey, do exactly what he says to do. If he says sleep, sleep. If he says get up, get up. If he says rebuke, rebuke. If he says, I want to deal with this root, not deal with it. Then you got that final part of the day, which is the fourth watch. This is when Jesus came. And that's 6 a.m. to 9 a.m. 6 a.m. to 9 a.m. 6 a.m. is when you get up. <laughs> It's awakening time. You just spent three hours resting. You finally stopped striving. Now you've got the directors of the words and you're seeing the Lord begin to move. You think you see, just like Elijah, the cloud in a far distance off. You might see a shadow of the Lord himself coming across that water. Things start to form. Your vision starts to clear. When I wrote that time down, he said, the new day finally starts to dawn and you have hope again. And you know it's just a matter of time until Daddy does what he said he's going to do. It says they hollered out in fear when they saw him. They'd been worrying all night, and they weren't sure, maybe, 
if this was another fight or their saving grace. Sometimes when you're in the midst of a big battle like that and you come out of the warring time and all of a sudden you've had your be still and you've heard the words you're going forward and it's that strong of a battle. When the Lord does come, you're like, you're, you're on it. Like, I'm in sniper mode, bro. What's your name and what do you want? You know what I'm saying? Who are you and who do you serve? And it's not personal. It's that you're coming out of the worst battle of your life and you need to lock and load and be ready. Thank you for listening today. Take a moment and ask Holy Spirit what He wants you to do with what you've learned. And remember, with God, all things are possible. So keep dreaming, keep praying, and simply obey because God is good and he has good plans for you. You can subscribe to our blogs, learn about our speakers, and even hear from one of our team members how you can take part in transforming a city, your city with Christ. There's no time like the present. Visit ShekinahOnline.com. If this doesn't excite you, watch for our new and God-inspired product line, a newly released book by Stephanie Butler, more testimonies from our listeners like you, working to bring unity in cities across the world. If you feel led to support our podcast, you may do so on our Shekinah.com website. Or if you would like to support us monthly, there is a link labeled Listener Support on every podcast. Until next time, we thank you, we love you, have a blessed day.